Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. On this episode, I sat down with Jill Reuter. She is the Director of Community Outreach for EndSlaveryTennessee.org. They are an organization that helps um, survivors of, I almost said victims, and it's important to make the distinction, survivors of human trafficking. Um, Most specifically in this episode, we talk about the global, yet local, issue of sex trafficking of children, of minors. Now you might think that human trafficking is something that happens overseas. You know, you see it in movies, in the movie Taken, um, when you read about it in various forms. Um, it's actually a humongous problem here in the United States. Um, there have been several human trafficking busts here in Nashville, Tennessee, um, Franklin, Tennessee, which we'll talk about on this episode. Um, Atlanta has a huge human trafficking, uh, sex trafficking operation. This, this makes billions of dollars worldwide, by the way. Uh, it's, it's a disturbing thing. This is an intense episode. We don't, we're not graphic per se, um, but if there's any kind of a trigger warning, I suppose it's that. This is an intense yet important topic. Uh, parents, I encourage you to listen to this episode and then perhaps go back and listen again with your kids and talk about it. Um, you know, the, the people that prey on children, they're not just preying on poor children or disenfranchised children. Um, these are kids from all over. Every race, every religion, every background, rich, poor, it, it makes no difference. Um, they're, they're all of our children. And it's really an important episode. Um, I feel very, very strongly about this um, being heard. I myself have watched several documentaries on human trafficking and most specifically on the sex slavery trade. And um, it's, it's horrifying. And no one, no one deserves to go through what these kids go through. It's, it's awful. Um, it's been a rough week, obviously. A lot of stuff has gone down. Um, I don't want to, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard for me sometimes to go through this world and realize that bad things happen um, sometimes on a, on a gross scale like it did in Las Vegas. And uh, innocent people losing their lives. It's, it's, uh, it's horrible. And the truth be told, though, uh, there are lots of really great, beautiful, wonderful people in this world. And they're doing great, beautiful, wonderful things every day. And I know it's hard to remember that in the wake of tragedies and horribleness and people being mean to each other and hateful rhetoric and just all the stuff. But it's really, it's a tiny sliver of what humanity does when they're being lovely. And Jill is a good example of a human being who is quite lovely and is making a difference and is is helping people. And uh, there's many like her. So in the wake 
I'm not, I'm not saying not, don't feel your upsetness. I'm upset. You know, don't, I'm not saying don't feel your pain. I'm in pain. I I get it. And it's important to to feel those emotions and to understand them and where they're coming from and, and, and work through them. But I just, I, I pray that you also look at all the good stuff that's happening in the world and all the beautiful people who are, and by that I mean beautiful souls who are really, really, they're making a difference. And sometimes it's small. Sometimes it's just smiling at somebody, you know, when you're walking down the street, just a smile. It goes a really, really long way. So anyway, it's a big episode. I think it's an important one. I hope you listen. Um, Some information I want to give just in case um, if you or someone you know needs help uh, there are, there's a few uh, human trafficking hotline numbers. In Tennessee, it's 855-558-6484. The national hotline is 888-373-7888. And uh, you can text HELP, H-E-L-P, or INFO, I-N-F-O, to the number 233-733. You can also go to endslaverytn.org or trafficking resourcecenter.org and if you see something that seems weird say something um as i mentioned on this episode i would much rather somebody say something about me that may be erroneous if it means saving a child or helping somebody who's um who's in trouble you know what all that stuff can get worked out in the wash and and you know i would much rather the thing be said and someone be helped and worry about my reputation later. You know what I mean? So anyway, uh, that being said, the usual stuff, of course, please rate and review Hey Human on iTunes. Um, Y'all have been doing great with that. Thank you. Keep going. Um, It's really helpful. I just, (laughs) I got a call from Ellen. As y'all know, I talk about her all the time. Um, My friend, she said, uh, my bestie, she said that uh, one of her uh, friends, was looking for a podcast and that Hey Human was trending and so she discovered it that way. So I was really excited about that. Um, I don't know what it means exactly to be trending, but I think it's pretty good. So hopefully more of that, please. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Uh, You can find me at all the social media places. Um, Tweet me. Uh, Susan Ruthism, that's S-U-S-A-N-R-U-T-H-I-S-M. Email me, Susan at HeyHumanPodcast.com. Speaking of HeyHumanPodcast.com, it's going to have a ton of links for this episode. There's a lot of information. I encourage you, again, go look at it. um, Watch the documentaries that Jill recommends. uh, Share this information with your loved ones. And it's not just girls, by the way. It's not like human trafficking uh, is just girls. Adults are trafficked for labor, um, servitude, uh, and boys are also trafficked for sex. Um, It's not, this isn't just a a little girl thing. I mean, it's more common for sure, but but it's it's non-gender specific. Um, Yeah, anyway... uh, Please tell your friends and and everybody to listen to Hey Human Podcast. Spread the word. Um, Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. And uh, here we go. 
Hi, Jill Reader. Hi. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Welcome to Hey Human Podcast. Thank you. Glad where, to be here. Where the conversation is always interesting and the coffee is always on. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so you are from End Slavery Tennessee. Yes. Dot org. For dot org. Uh-huh. Um, explain what that is. We are a uh, nonprofit organization that's based out of here in Nashville. However, we handle the whole middle uh, middle region of Tennessee. We are one of four single points of contact for the Tennessee Anti-Slavery Alliance. We work with the TBI's Human Trafficking Task Force to provide services for victims of human trafficking. TBI being Tennessee Bureau of Investigation. Yes, and we... Uh, provide services for survivors of human trafficking. That's one of our core missions. Um, but we also work with advocacy. Uh, our founder, Derry Smith, has worked with the state and federal legislature. She's even spoken at the White House. We have been working uh, in conjunction with lawmakers to tighten the laws for human trafficking. And we also do trainings and presentations to let the community become more aware of human trafficking and the problem and the prevalency here in Nashville. So when people hear human trafficking, I think the immediate place they go in their minds is sex trafficking, which is a humongous problem. But there are several different kinds of human trafficking. There's servitude, mm-hmm. right? And Absolutely. So maybe run through the... Yes, well, just like you mentioned, there is commercial sex trafficking, and that actually, the commercial sex trafficking is the second fastest, largest growing crime in the country. I read that it, $293 million made in, in 2016 in Atlanta alone. Right, right. That was mind-boggling yes, to me. Yes, yes. And 32 to $150 billion worldwide. Difference of wide variety of statistics, but still, um, it's impressive and then the trafficking of children is the fastest growing uh, sex crime and largest sex crime uh, but you're like you said there is labor trafficking too uh, and domestic servitude bondage uh, so you'll you might it might be involved with uh, domestics like maids nannies au pairs mm-hmm. that type of situation where it all seems to be fine on the surface they get their room, they get their board, but that's all they get. They're not allowed to leave the house. They're not allowed to, you know, right, they their don't have any money. Their passports get taken. Exactly, get, exactly. Yeah. So when it's foreign nationals, uh, a lot of times we see the, like you said, passports, visas taken away. Um, a lot of times they don't even know where they are because of the way that they're trafficked within the country. They may be transported to and from the job site in a van, say, and they're allowed, you know, not allowed to, to you know, not allowed to see street signs or anything, identifying marks. And they're also told that we're going to, law enforcement uh, and other organizations such as ours are the enemy, we're going to deport them. So all these different threats uh, are in place uh, to make them, you know, um, kind of indebted to the trafficker. So that's how, you know, that's what we see a lot of times when we have those. And, and when we think of labor trafficking, um, it's not always, uh, it's not a situation always where we've got, um, you know, people are brought in in cargo ships uh, or cargo holds, like you see a lot of times on television. Um, they are, uh, a lot of times, what you'll see is they can be brought in by train, they can be brought in by bus, uh, they might just be here, they may be answering ads. So it's a wide variety of ways in which. 
um, they're brought into the country. But one of the things that's really important to keep in mind too uh, in trafficking in general is that of the trafficking victims we have in the United States, 83% are American-born citizens. So, I think that's, repeat that. <laughs> yeah. 83% are American-born citizens of uh, trafficking victims here in the United States. So that kind of, you know, blows the theory in a lot of people's mind that they're all brought in here, um, that we have a problem with uh, trafficking of American citizens within our own borders. So are those second language uh, English as a second language situations, or is not it just, necessarily? Okay. Not necessarily. It could be you and me, uh, our neighbors, our friends, childrens of our neighbors and friends. Yeah. Okay. So, um, gosh, so many questions. It's it's so horrifying to me that human beings treat other human beings like this. I, and at the same time, I think, well, I'm not surprised. I guess too. Mm-hmm. Um, so from my understanding of the research I've done and the documentaries I've seen, <clears throat> when it comes to children, that they have uh, the, the traffickers have very specific, they're not just taking homeless kids, although that's a great portion of that, but they're trolling for kids online Absolutely. that are in perfectly normal family, normal whatever that means, but mm-hmm. you know, like happy families and Absolutely. You know, from the sports star kids to the to the good students, to whatever. It's, it's not like they're just looking for the Dylan Klebolds. Right, yeah. exactly. And that's a that's a really important part uh, point to make because of the fact that a lot of people do think that. They've seen the movie Taken and see how that begins with the, the two girls being kidnapped. Abduction is, is not that common. It may be roughly 1% of the way trafficking occurs because and what I, I try to stress to people is Kidnapping is a crime in itself, so you have a lot of risk if you're trying to abduct someone. So why not go ahead and abduct their minds? You know, make it so that they seem to be willing participants. Uh, you know, that's that's one of the traffickers' skills, I guess it were. So just like you said, it doesn't have to be the homeless. Uh, doesn't have to be runaways, though we do see that quite a bit. Uh, it's it's somebody you know especially in youth somebody is missing something and and it's a vulnerability it's preying on their vulnerabilities which every teenager has oh absolutely yeah. absolutely and also I think it's important to say this isn't just girls uh, right right eighty percent are girls but twenty percent are boys and personally and a lot of other people feel this way that the twenty percent you know really. You know, we think with boys, it's probably underreported just because of it's our stigma. social stigma of uh, reporting sexual abuse um, for boys. So that's that's another kind of problem in in and of itself. But um, but with traffickers, what they look for is the uh, somebody that feels out of place, uh, somebody that's lonely, shy, bullying victims, um, and these and I and also kids that have been neglected. And when I say neglect, it's not the physical neglect that we think of somebody who's homeless or whatever though that does happen but I mean this could be somebody who is in a very high dollar neighborhood but their family doesn't have time for them and so what happens is is they're going to seek an outlet and the average age of trafficking victims now is 13 so 13 is a very vulnerable age Mm -hmm. that's where the hormones are you know and their questions and they're half children half adults and there's a lot so there's a lot of things going on so it's easy for a trafficker to prey on those pieces those missing pieces sure they they become the role of 
parent lover they, they exactly yeah. exactly they'll feed whatever need there is and like you said the internet now has become like the super highway of human trafficking dark web stuff uh-huh. but it's not just the dark web right In no fact, i was reading about the lawsuits with backpage.com mm-hmm. First of all, Mortified about the the Village Voice owned them, the mm-hmm. most progressive paper in the land, yeah, you know, yeah. and that was insane. The whole thing, it's, so Backpage.com, for those of you that don't know, it's, um, it's kind of like the back of any one of your local newspapers that has the advertisements, and usually there's, you know, your clairvoyance, and your massage <laughs> therapists, and your hypnotherapists and your dog trainers and you know all these random things but the the human traffickers that's where they on the back page is where they were posting these Mm -hmm. and they also too a back page with the internet piece of it what they were doing was is they were advertising for like escort services but the way they made it it kind of looked benign but what happened was is that craigslist used to be like that but craigslist kind of cleaned up their act. So they have a, it used to be, you can't have a, you have to specify a dollar amount if you sell something on those ads. So if you're going to sell a sofa, you can't put just the dollar signs. You have to put it $60 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the on back page, they didn't have to do that. Um, so what they did was they turned around and they would advertise for escorts or dates or whatever. But then they'd have key phrases like fresh face, new in town, which would be kind of the, um, you know, key words to alert people that they were minors, you know, that that's what they were selling. Mm-hmm. And they had a two-year investigation, and they arrested the CEO and I think two of his direct underlings, and they were out for about a week, and they're back up again. I mean, yeah. so it's really, really hard they're to... They're protected by uh, that. There's a, a caveat, a loophole in, in, in the uh, Internet laws. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and which that's I'll, I'll post about that on on my links page. I encourage you guys to get into that because while it does protect the internet in some places that need protecting for sure, it's also protecting very nefarious characters who are engaging in these acts. So um, talk about your organization a little bit. Okay. Uh, so we've been around for I think over almost over ten years now, and our mm-hmm. CEO, uh, Derry Smith, is also our founder. Uh, she did some mission work overseas and ran into this problem overseas uh, because of uh, job situations. She ended up you know coming back here and found that how prevalent it was here in Nashville, um, Tennessee, and the Nashville particular. So when you she, say she, so she just said, "Oh my gosh, this is going on." Did she read about it or something? she read about oh, okay. it? And she was exposed to. It. I mean, she did a lot of research on it okay. and. And she's um, quite knowledgeable on, on the whole, every facet of it. And she came back, and that's where, um, you know, we, we've gotten a lot of her statistics from a lot of our research. There's uh, 94 minors are trafficked in Tennessee every month. Um, 94 and, in Tennessee every month. Yeah, that just is, in Tennessee. That is a, to me, that is a huge number. It is, it is. And we've got a lot of things going for us, like, you know, with Nashville, with, you know, sports and, sure. you know, uh, concerts and conventions and also we have a big draw. But so we, we've 
formed this organization. We had, uh, she, she started very small. She started like, you know, going door to door with information and everything out of the trunk of her car. Mm-hmm. Uh, then she started developing uh, the organization, um, got a great board of directors behind us. And we got an intervention specialist that was a survivor herself, mm-hmm. which was great because that was, ended up being our real strong, one of our real strong suits because we were able to go on stings with the human trafficking task force of the TBI. And we would go ahead, or she would be the first face that they would see. So that was great because then they would, you know, it would be like you and I could go and we we would have our total hearts into it. But, you know, these survivors are trusting. Trust is the first thing taken away from them. So they would, uh, you know, she would say, I've walked it, I've talked it, you know, and we can help you. And if they were willing to come for, you know, to us, uh, we would you know, bring them into the program, and that's the way it is today. Um, we have a program where we uh, we provide, uh, you know, things like therapy. They almost all have some kind of mental health disorder from the trafficking itself. Uh, PTSD is, of course, most prevalent. Um, we also, uh, there are a lot of them are drug addicted, mm-hmm. and that's, um, that's kind of goes hand in hand. That, I'd like to touch on that for a second, yeah, too. Yeah. So, let's say I'm this young girl, you know, and I get, I get into the, you know, I get trafficked. Mm-hmm. So probably one of the first things they start doing is getting me addicted to drugs. Exactly. If you're not compliant, say if I'm a trafficker and you're not going to do what I want you to Which do. Which is more than likely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because these, these young, young girls, young, I keep stressing that, these are children mm-hmm. are being raped up to 40 times a day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so they will, um, nine times out of ten, like you said, for a compliance issue, they'll shoot them up with heroin. Heroin is fast-acting, causes a real quick addiction. And so then, as far as the manipulation, they'll turn around and say, hey, here's the door. You can go ahead and go out. But, you know, in a few hours you're going to need something. And, of course, I've taken your money, you know, since I'm the trafficker. That's and your one parents of... don't love you. And exactly. I love you. And I love you. You, yeah. you know, this is, this is, you know, this is your home now. Now, see, people yeah. listening are probably like, well, gosh, you know, if you have good parents that are pretty normal or whatever, how can you fall prey to this? But it's not... The cult is a good example, or, mm-hmm. you know, kids, even religion to some extent, it's like it doesn't take much to get mm-hmm. a brain on board with something. Exactly. Because yeah. what they do is they don't, again, they don't abduct them very often. So they're going to develop a relationship with them. First. They're going to develop this relationship. They're going to be the piece of trust. And they're on the Twitter. They're on the Snapchat. Oh, sure. Snapchat, I, I heard, is like the big one. Yeah, Snapchat is Tinder now. Tinder. Uh, and Facebook even. Um, yeah. Facebook will. Uh, with Facebook, you don't say like you don't have to, you know, you can put up, I think, up to three profiles on Facebook, and basically none of them have to be you. You know, you can put any name you want, any picture you want. Mm-hmm. So, and I've used an example with kids where you could put a, say, like a 16 year old photo of Chad Lowe, or I mean, Chad, she's not Chad Lowe, Channing Tatum, or something like that, where he's good looking, but you might not make the connection that it's Channing Tatum. But he looks great, and you're lonely. You're the lonely girl. You're new in town. You don't have a boyfriend. You want that because you're, or you're just you a know. regular junior high school kid. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And um, so you know, all of a sudden, 
you know, if the person, if the trafficker, whatever, who is posting this profile sees where you live, where you go to school, your likes and dislikes, where you're checking in, they can make sure, you know, they, they all of a sudden like what you like. They, you know, so then there's that common bond or, or what seems to be a common bond. And then there's going into a chat room or a messenger and they start talking it up and, and developing a relationship. Mm -hmm. And then when that happens... You know, and we also have boyfriending where, um, you know, that's kind of a type of boyfriending. But we've had kids, like even in high school, that have boyfriended the lonely girl and then turn around and a family member's the trafficker. And we've had that type of situation. And so when that happens, your trust is totally violated. You don't know who to trust anymore. But then the trafficker turns around and does the honeymooning where they make it sound like they really love you and on you're like, okay, this'll this'll work. This is better what I've had than what I've had before. But then every once in a while they'll turn around with the psychological yeah. abuse the, and physical abuse with beatings, rapes, whatever. Right. You know, and then they'll turn around and tattoo them. Uh, or brand them. Um, this is another way of, yeah. of helping the victim lose their identity and having the tra trafficker more declare ownership. Is there something people can look for? Is there any particular, is there a certain brand or a, or a tattoo? That Not a certain one. Usually, well, usually it's location, location, location. Usually it's on the neck. Um, usually it's the name of the trafficker or his nickname or street name if he has one. Um, Sometimes it may not be just a name, but a symbol of what they, you know, um, that's, you know, familiar or represents the trafficker. Um, sometimes, too, that's the kind of an obvious one, but sometimes they look malnourished. Um, sometimes they will have signs of abuse uh, in various stages of healing. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes poor dentition because they're not taken to, you know, medical centers as all we found that actually they do more than we think, but um, but they don't go to a dentist. Um, they've had beatings. I mean, we've had survivors that have teeth missing because they were kicked out or, or whatever. Um, Wasn't there a flight attendant recently? That yes, there was. And this is, and I'm glad you mentioned this because that segues into one of the biggest pieces that I like to tell people to look for. The flight attendant on a particular airline was noticing a man that was with a young girl, and there was nothing physical about the young girl that stood out. It was the relationship. You know, she, she looked like it was not an interactive relationship. There was just something off. You know, there wasn't, it did not seem like a, a, a father and a daughter. It didn't seem like, you know, she, she just kind of, you know, the girl had apparently a particular expression on her face. She's kind of withdrawn. So the flight attendant had been trained in human tra what to look for in human trafficking. She went to the bathroom and wrote a message and said, are you, you know, are you safe? And so somehow the flight attendant was able to get the girl to go to the restroom. The rest, the girl wrote, no, I'm not. And so the flight attendant, you know, they notified the law enforcement and they were there. And that was a, you know, that was trafficking right there. And trafficking, now that was on a plane, but trafficking does not have to be uh, physical transporting. You know, that's sure. not, that's not necessarily what that term means. So. Yeah. And then I just read about another uh, woman that was sitting behind a man on a plane that mm -hmm. saw his texts and they were he yes. was talking with some woman back in his in, in my home state in Washington and they were planning on um, doing stuff to two small children and yes if then that woman spoke up I mean that is so important 
you know, to, to if you see something, if your intuition is screaming at you, I'd rather be accused of something and find out that it wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, a real thing, knowing right. that the children are safe. Exactly. You know? So exactly. I think that's super important. It is. Don't that, be a lunatic about it, but certainly yes. alert somebody who can handle it. It's see something, say something. And when we tell people about like the human trafficking hotline, we tell people, do not be afraid to to do that because it's anonymous and, you know, there's no repercussions. You mm-hmm. know, and I've told people in the medical profession too, you know, you're not going to be, you know, suffer from the hospital or the clinic. There's not going to be backlash. You have to do something. And that's, you know, one of the things that people, we've become, um, I don't know, afraid to step out or used to some of these things. And so we really have to like, you Or we know. may not even realize what we're seeing. Yeah. I think now yeah. that it's starting to become more um, talked about like anything mm-hmm. else. Yes. I mean, and the stigma and the shame, quote unquote, of mm-hmm. anything surrounding sex abuse it's getting it's getting more vocal which will hopefully get better and we just had a big bust here in Mm -hmm. tennessee were you guys involved with that we weren't involved for us specifically but the tbi human trafficking hotline our task force was involved in the district attorney so that was a a nail slash spa uh, salon in the hermitage area so a nail salon yeah so nail and that is that is what we've had. We've had one in Franklin too. We had an arrest uh, about a year and a half ago in Franklin, and also about two years ago in Green Hills. Uh, same type situation. These were Green Hills. Yeah, right, that's super fancy neighborhood. Exactly. Exactly. The most expensive mall in Tennessee. Absolutely. And with this particular nail parlor in Hermitage, a lot of people posted on Facebook. I went there. I went there. I went there. So it was very, very popular. It was, and it wasn't the. None of these places are seedy looking. They're, sure. they're very, very legitimate looking. Um, and legitimate for all practical purposes. Was it sex trafficking or worker trafficking? It was both, actually. Oh, so what happened in this particular case, it was a uh, nail slash spa. So you could go in and get your nails done, you get a spa treatment, and then there's a back room. Um, so these were, there were 15, I think 13 to 15 young women, Asian women that were brought in. So this was a classic example of labor slash sex trafficking. And um, the perpetrator the trafficker was a woman um and she was actually she and her husband but the woman was the one the primary one um that was doing this so uh this is why i tell people uh and this is one of those things see something say something if you go into nail parlor you know a lot of Asians will come over to to do those because that's what they're used to and that's the kind of work they do and they do a wonderful job so you know, I want to stress it's not all parts sure, nail parts. It's not all nail parts with you know Asians yeah. with it um, in them. But you know, be aware. You know, watch the interactions of the employees and in backroom activities and and you know things like that. Just kind of you know kind of keep your eyes and ears open. I'm yeah. curious, what does the madam say? As does, does anybody say why are you doing this? Does any is it just because of the money or is it are they broken somehow? I mean, what what creates a person that does that? That's a, really both. It's a supply and demand. It makes a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so this is one of those things. It's low risk. Um, so if somebody can uh, be operating what appears to be a legitimate business, then that's very low risk. Again, if people don't know and they go in and they keep doing this, and as long as you know they don't get caught and they have, they're have, they making great money, they're just going to keep on. But a lot of it, 
is a lot of broken people. Uh, we have found that uh, as hard as it is for, you know, and it's hard for me sometimes to have any kind of sympathy for a trafficker at all, uh, but we are finding that they are broken too. Um, so they have had problems in their lives too, so that this seems normal. like an acceptable, yes, normal and acceptable option for life. And even uh, we have found that 90% of traffickers that have been sexually abused end up being traffickers, you know, when they were kids, excuse me, so that they end up being traffickers when they're adults. So it's it's quite a um, sad story in that everybody is broken. It's it's just a, in, a, in a system that does not know enough to help mend all of this. And, it, and it's, you know, it's, it's one of those situations where the trafficker comes from a broken home. Nobody's going to think ahead of time, you know, when they're children that this could happen. But, you know, it's we need to fix things when kids are young, when things are happening so that it doesn't evolve into this kind of, kind of situation. So what happens when you go in, you bust up um, that kind of situation, and you are faced with a bunch of uh, people who aren't even from this country, do, mm-hmm. do they get to stay here and get better, or do they have... They usually do. You, what has been established is what we call a T visa. So what happens with foreign nationals, if they're here in this country and they become victims, if they are willing to testify against their trafficker, they're allowed to stay here on a T visa uh, for whatever length of time. And we will, our organization will provide services uh, for them, mm-hmm. again, for whatever they need, you know, psychological, you know, safety, whatever. We, uh, our organization though, usually, or the TBI will work with Homeland Security and the Immigration uh, Service with uh, those people. If they're not willing to testify, if they don't want to, usually they'll just, we'll uh, help them go, you know, or I shouldn't say, we usually it's Homeland Security will allow them to go back or help them go back home. Yeah. Um, man. So what are some of the things that parents or friends or I mean, I feel like parents, I was the third child, so by mm-hmm. the time I came along, my parents were oblivious. Like, <laughs> I mean, they had already, you know, I had, I had two older brothers, so they were just exhausted. Um, so, for, I think some of these kids, it's their friends might notice before the parents, or yes. the siblings might notice. Mm-hmm. So, what is... What are some of the things to look for? Uh, usually, in a case like that, uh, the victim will become withdrawn or uh, start to isolate themselves uh, from others. They won't say, like, if they're hanging with, they usually hang with a group of friends. They might, um, you know, have other plans. Um, truant in school. One good thing about Tennessee is we do have strict laws about truancy, and we, you know, watch that. But they will become truant or call in sick a lot. Um, they will also uh, maybe seen with an older man, mm. or I should say older person, because women are traffickers too. Sure. Uh, they also might uh, have new clothes. Uh, if they're old enough to have a car, they might have a car. Um, so the jewelry, their gifts. situation might mm-hmm. change where it looks like they're getting lots of gifts uh, mm-hmm. from people. So those are some of the key things to watch out for. We have had kids that have been trafficked like during lunchtime, especially if it's familial trafficking and family. And that- some families will traffic their own children and they will like tra- they will do, you know, work during the week or excuse me, during Lunch know, lunchtime and then you know, go so home. So these are parents that are taking their children out of school during lunch, trafficking them, and then bringing them back to school. Yeah, usually we've, and sometimes it's not necessarily a direct correlation like that, but we've had, you know, where they've said an uncle has done that. If that doesn't happen as often, yeah, uh, just, most of the time they're pulled out of school. Yeah. But we've had, um, we've had situations where we've had uh, families that traffic 
their children. Um, the youngest we've had, it was before I joined the organization, I'm glad, was four. And she was trafficked um, for money and a uh, or for drugs and a car for the parents. So we see that. So that means the parents traded the child for mm-hmm. sex for drugs. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Mm-hmm. That happens sometimes. Somebody's late on rent. So they'll turn around and send the kid down to the landlord. Uh, there's, there's all sorts of ways in which that happens. And, and drugs are usually the center of it. And so drugs are an um, amazing um, draw for, you know, if somebody gets that desperate that they have to, they feel sure. they have to do that. And we are in a crisis, obviously, mm-hmm. as far as our addictions are concerned. Absolutely. Um, man. I read, I mean, when I research this stuff, of course, I go down a very depressing rabbit hole. But mm-hmm. um, I read that a lot of Americans will pay to go to countries like Thailand and such mm-hmm. where and do unspeakable things to very, very young, young children. Mm-hmm. And that there's actually, I mean, that's a whole big thing in and of itself. It is. It really is. Um, American tourist uh provide a lot of the business uh, for foreign countries like that. And what happens, and the reason it's so easy over in those countries is because, say like Cambodia, their their whole population was pretty decimated with the Khmer Rouge during the Vietnam War. And so that country is still in the rebuilding phase. So what happens is, and they don't have the access to federal funds like our country does, so even though that it's, you know, basically against the law in their country, they have to almost turn a blind eye because if a family is able to support itself in whatever manner, then they don't like it, but it's a family that's somehow being the taken care of. Mean, yeah. yeah. Even if it so, means they're selling Right. Their so they don't support it, they don't encourage it or condone it. But they, they don't have the resources to, to really stop it, and that's why they that happens there, too. How did you get involved in this? Well, ironically, um, Cambodia. <laughs> um, really? Actually, I was a pediatric nurse practitioner. Um, I had worked at St. Jude and, and other places, so I had was used to working with populations that were traumatized and... and uh, going through a whole lot and I wanted to do a little bit more I wanted something that was a little bit outside of the box I guess as it were and I I was writing as a nurse practitioner I was writing you know orders and and things but I I like the the part where I was helping families on the outside so I actually looked into what I could do in that way. So I actually uh, joined an organization called Freedom's Promise that's here out of Nashville and went on a medical mission trip to Cambodia and saw it firsthand, saw two acts of human trafficking right in front of my eyes. How do you mean? Well, one of the the, um, times was we were at the railroad slums uh, in uh, Phnom Penh and there was a gentleman that came uh, on a motorcycle and dropped two kids off in the morning, and they were teenagers. They gave them money, and you know they ran back into their shack, basically, and he just looked at me, and I looked at him, and there was nothing we could do, and he knew it, and he was not, he was not Asian. He was an American or European, and then uh, one night in our hotel, we actually saw about 10, 10, a little bit after 10 o'clock at night, a, a young girl uh, probably about nine or ten, dressed totally 
um, just, you know, dressed like to the right. Yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah. But yeah. in their, you know, like native dress and, yeah. and all that taken up to a hotel room. And so when I saw that, it was just mind-boggling. So when I came back here, I couldn't afford to keep going to Cambodia, unfortunately. But when I came back here, uh, Freedom's Promise sister organization was in slavery. So I looked into it, uh, became a volunteer, and then when they had an opening for the director of community outreach, I, I jumped on it and been there ever since. So, wow. Yeah. So from the victim's perspective, mm-hmm. which you, you get a lot of people back, mm-hmm. um, talk, talk about it, just what what happens with them. How do they, what is, <laughs> I just don't even know how to ask yeah. the question. <laughs> where, where are they when you get them emotionally and physically and all that? And how long, I mean, everybody's different, I'm sure. sure. But with the journey of getting them back, you know, and do some of them don't come back, I'm sure. Right. In their minds and their hearts right. and their souls. It, it, how do you come back from that? But. It's very, it's very, very hard. Um, we have, we get them uh, from, of course, obviously the arrests or uh, the sting operations that TBI does. But we also have a cherished hearts court. So they cut, they get referred, uh, referred from that. That's one of five uh, human trafficking courts in the country, and it opened January 26 of 2016. So, so a court that's specific to this? To human trafficking victims, wow, yeah. Good. Yeah, so they address that, and they're kind of sentenced to end slavery to our program. Um, if they correctly go through the program, uh, they, you know, do well, they they maintain uh, being clean and sober, um, they get a job, they, you know, basically they're rehabilitated, their records are expunged. So this... Wait, you know, why would they have records if they're, oh, well, if they're the victims? Very good. That's a very good... Well, the way the law is in Tennessee, or actually the U.S. Department of Justice, trafficking, the human trafficking, the definition of human trafficking is recruiting, receiving, transporting, transferring, or harboring, harboring a person or persons who force fraud or coercion for commercial sex, labor, domestic servitude in exchange for anything of value. If you're under 18, force, fraud, and coercion don't have to be proven. You're automatically a victim of human trafficking. So for victims that are under 18, it's easy to go ahead and automatically get resources for them, or it is now. Now DCS is aware and and on board with everything. Um, The problem is, if somebody's over 18, it is hard to prove uh, force, fraud, and coercion, and they weren't self-prostituting. What we've been trying to stress to everybody is nobody grows up wanting to be a prostitute, and so something happens in their life. Um, And that's the piece that we're trying to get everybody on board with. Um, So, and they also will, you know, sometimes if they're going through the human trafficking court, they may have other records, drugs, um, and then, of course, proving the prostitution or whatever, but a lot of times it's drugs or, you know. Well, see, now you bring up a good point. So, a sex worker Mm -hmm. who, let's say you're a runaway, at 16 you're considered an adult in many states. Mm -hmm. So, you're a Mm -hmm. runaway and, and... Many runaways, uh, especially like gay kids that get kicked out of the house mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or um, or whatever, um, and then they they turn to sex working as a means. Mm-hmm. But I would argue that's still human it trafficking. is. It's still human trafficking. It's it still is because it's a means to an a end pimp, usually. Mm-hmm. And so there's still a vulnerability yeah. in exchange for anything of value. So. Um, Human traffickers can be considered caregivers now by law because they provide food and shelter, but of course it's inadequate. So 
the, again, the child can receive services and, again, be considered a victim of human trafficking. So it is, yeah, definitely children will. That's still trafficking. Um, Do you feel like the laws still somewhat protect the bad guys? I think it's gotten much better. I think it is. Um, the The penalties are such uh, that the way it works is, and I'll, I'll get back. I kind of segue to it. I'll get back to it. No, no, no. No, no, no. But it, the penalties like prostitution is misdemeanor, but uh, trafficking is a felony. And especially for minors, it's like I for eight to eight, like eighteen to fifteen. It's a certain number of years. 15 to 12 is a certain number of years. 12 and under of, is certain. And it's certain, a higher penalty. Okay, it's yeah, a higher penalty. Jail time. Right. And then if the act occurs close to a school or a church, mm. it raises it one level of penalty for whatever, or one level of felony, excuse me, for each each level. Um, but when we get victims and everything, trust is, is totally violated. Um, you know, when they, they come in, the intervention specialists will sometimes take them around our, our office and, um, you know, sometimes they'll, they won't look at us or they'll glare at us or they're just unsure. And it's it's totally understandable because they don't know who to trust anymore. And some of them don't want to be there. Um, so a lot of them, uh, the trust is a big thing. There's a lot of anger, um, resentment, um uh, sometimes because of what has happened to them, the trauma, um, they are cognitively not as developed as others would be at their age level. They don't have the intermixing of uh, the social interaction with others their age. So they might say like, you might have a 20-year-old that comes in, but then something happens. And it may be simple like um, they can't go somewhere that they want to go. And instead, uh, they then they turn around and act out like a 15 or 16-year-old, and you're like, well, this is kind of strange. Well, a lot of times when we've seen that happening, I've gone to a care coordinator and said, how old were they when they were trafficked? 15 or 16. So their cognitive development so, you know, just they, stops yeah. where, they, where they are. So that's another uh, area that we have to, to work with. Um, so we always take them where they are. Um, and, you know, of course, like we mentioned earlier, the drug addiction is a big piece. So we have uh, other places like the mental health co-op that we work with, the emotional trauma. We have two therapists in our office that are from the sexual assault center that are trained in uh, trauma therapy, and they work with the survivors. We also uh, have relationships with uh, major uh, uh, hospital organizations like HCA and St. Thomas, so that they will help. Uh, well, they're trained with, to know what to look for, too. Yes, correct? yes. And the next door. There's several organizations now that are like our community partners, mm -hmm. uh, Hope Clinic for Women. So we, we're able to reach out to these different people and uh, work with them in such a way that we're able to provide services for our survivors. And then they, in turn, now since we've worked with them, know how to identify. Uh, a survivor and can refer them back to us, you know, because mm -hmm. the next door will have that. Next door is an organization that works a lot with uh, drug addiction, but now they can sit there as they're working with those, say, you know, they'll find out a history going, I think this looks like, you know, we've talked to this survivor, it looks like this person may be a victim of human trafficking, and they refer to us. So, um, and those community partnerships are really important because without them, we, you know, and that makes a big headway in identification too. 
What know. are the statistics on runaways uh, and home and not just runaways? Because in these <coughs> days, I feel like it's more people getting thrown out of their houses yes. than them being runaways. Sadly, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the statistics there? With usually for runaways um, and homeless, uh, usually one in three. Uh, excuse me, one of every three is approached by a human trafficker within forty-eight hours. Um, they will be outside the National Rescue Mission. Uh, bus stations, malls, parks, yeah. especially for the children. Um, and then also for, uh, we've got, like you had mentioned about the uh, lesbian gay uh, community, so they end up being throwaways. You know, if, if a child is getting to that point in time, a child or actually anybody is getting to that point in time where they're quite having those questions, if they don't have a safe place to go, if their family is not receptive and open-minded enough to be able to have a a, a good conversation with them and make them also feel safe while they work this out. They will be throwaways also, and they Is will. Is the parent are also not culpable? If if my if I throw out my child because they came to me and said I'm gay or lesbian mm-hmm. or trans or whatever, mm-hmm. and I throw that child out, and that child then goes to the streets, ends up getting trafficked. Am I not culpable? How is that not how is that not illegal in yeah. some way that the well it goes to it's a it's a slippery slope I think you know yeah. I think it's um, I feel the same way because uh, if my child came up to me like that I would certainly have that conversation you know I've had kids that have come up to me and said you know what would you think if I told you and I'm like I don't care you know okay. I want you to be happy um, but the the truth of the matter is is you're right there is culpability but it's more emotional culpability because there's the gray that thin line between the same situation as if a child is rebellious you know and the family says we can't take this anymore you have to leave um so that child too is as vulnerable sure as the uh lesbian gay child so you're right, and I feel the same way, but it's, again, it's one of those uh, situations. And we have had, sadly, we have had families where that was not the situation necessarily, but the child was trafficked as an adult, or it's a young person, they've been, sure. you know, they may be an adult, and the families now disown them because they were in that life or they were drug addicted. Uh. And so now, even as we're working with them, they may turn around. And the irony them. is when they need the love most of all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, again, I think it's so important that like, when I've talked about human trafficking with people that I know, with friends or whatnot, um, they most people think this is a situation of something that happens overseas. Right. No right. one really, it, which boggles my mind. I'm like, no, you don't understand. This is a humongous problem Mm -hmm. in the United States. Absolutely. Absolutely. How are we going to combat? I mean, how? The awareness is a major piece for people to understand and make that differentiation that, yes, indeed, it does happen overseas, but just as much. Going back to the, you know, 83% of the victims here in the United States are American-born. And also realizing um, that it's there's not a particular... um, area that's more vulnerable than others i've had people that have actually you know said to me isn't it more often you know in lower antioch because they want to believe and hope to believe 
that there's uh, bad part ethnicity. Of town. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A bad part of town Only or a lower income. Or, you know, exactly. Or Certain whatever. ethnicity. Sure. And does it happen? Yes, uh, absolutely. But it there's a lot of trafficking in Franklin. So people have to realize... Franklin, by the way, for those of you oh, listening yes. that are not from around here, Franklin is a very affluent um, part of Tennessee. It's very large homes, very beautiful shops, mm-hmm. very picturesque. They do the A lot Dickens of our country Christmas. artists live there. Yeah, yes. it's, it's very high end. So yeah, so and so mm-hmm. people have to realize that. And there's a, a study that was done. It was completed about six years ago. We're actually trying to get some more statistics, uh, but there was a uh, study done about six years ago. It took two years, and the TBI worked on this uh, statistic and trying to find out what the prevalence was in Tennessee. And they looked at all the counties in Tennessee, did studies with reports from law enforcement and, you know, all sorts of different resources. And they found that of the counties, I think there are 95 counties in Tennessee. I apologize if I'm mistaken. But 85 of them had reported at least one case of human trafficking in a two-year period. And one case is not necessarily one person. It depends on how successful the trafficker is. It's going to be a very large group. And of those counties, four of them reported over 100 cases of human trafficking. And the counties were uh, Davidson, where Nashville is, uh, Shelby, where Memphis is, Knox, where Knoxville is, and then Coffee County. And Coffee County, for those that don't know, is a very small county, uh, very rural. Uh, Tullahoma, I think, is the biggest town there. And there's a, an annual festival called Bonnaroo that's kind of like a mini uh, mini. Uh, Music festival. Yeah, music Bonnery, festival. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, so it's in the Woodstock. That was the word I was trying to say, a mini Woodstock. Um, but a lot, but people didn't, you know, automatically it was like a knee jerk reaction again. You know, how how is it happening in, in Coffee County where it's not, ha- you know, as prevalent as these other higher uh, population counties? And so some law enforcement says it's Bonnaroo. Well, Bonnaroo is only three, four days long and it's, it's not. Um, Again, it's not Woodstock or anything. So what they found is that there's a lot of poverty, there's a lot of hot unemployment, and there's also a lot of group homes. And because of that, with group homes and foster care, foster care um, is foster homes are also an area where there have been uh, kids that are uh, have been underserved through most of their lives and are more vulnerable to trafficking. So we think that that's where that comes from. So you mentioned Bonnaroo, which actually mm-hmm. reminded me of something I wanted to ask about, and that was I saw a um, a poster about human trafficking, and it said the Super Bowl is is one of the worst situations, and I and I was trying to I didn't have a chance to look uh-huh. it up, but I'm assuming it's because you have humongous amounts of people flooding into a town, and therefore people who do traffic humans that would mm-hmm. that would be. That would be a big boon or something? Yeah. Is that... It's yes and no. Or it's was kinda... it metaphorical? I mean, I didn't know what that meant yeah. exactly. It's, it's, it's a kind of yes and no question. The, basically, um, during Super Bowl, there are a lot of people. And uh, with that extra influx, law enforcement is, you know, more on the alert for, for things that are go on. Um, but what we're finding out, and we try to make sure that people don't think it's just that, because to give an example, I contacted our counterpart in Houston, or one of our organizations is very uh, similar um, in Houston that works with law enforcement uh, in the Houston area after they had their Super Bowl um, 
year, uh, year before last. And there were, I think she said, like 148 extra cases. And if you think of the size of the Super Bowl and the number of people, other than the number of people in Houston, you know, to begin with, and all the extra influx of people, that wasn't a very large amount um, of increase. Okay, so you know. it was more metaphorical, maybe. That yeah, it's, it, you know, people, well, that's again what we try to be, you know, yes, it does occur, but we, I think the message we want everybody to take home is that, it doesn't happen, you know, that's not the only time it happens. Sure. So we don't, again, want people to have that knee-jerk reaction yeah. go, oh, here comes the Super Bowl right. in San Diego or Miami or whatever. They're going to have that. And then when it goes, that nothing else is happening. Sure, yeah. right. It's so. not like it goes away with the circus. Exactly. I, I think, too, any place you have, um, like a town like Nashville, where mm-hmm. you have all these hotels and there's lots going on and there's, there's always something happening. Yes. That... Again, you you have more opportunity for people again who are have mm-hmm. nefarious intent. Um, well, like you mentioned, the hotels too. A lot of us know a seedy motel. We've I mean, we drive around sure. them, we see them. Dickerson a, Pike. Oh yeah, there <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely. Uh, but there again, there's some motels and hotels that we automatically again think, wow, there must be stuff happening in there, and there are. But there's trafficking in the Omni. There's trafficking in the Lowe's. Um, Which are the very fancy $600 night yeah. hotels. I mean, and no offense to any of those uh, they're hotels. They're nice hotels. Yeah, they're nice, nice hotels. And I just, I'm, you know, again, I mentioned those two, but it's it can be everywhere because well, yeah, it's, it's not hard to identify against the, mm-hmm. the hotel. It's not yeah. saying that the hotels are responsible. Absolutely it's just not. To, to, I think that's the thing. It's like I want to ram that home is the fact that this is not a poverty problem. Mm-hmm. This is a human problem this yes. is rich poor white black latino it doesn't it doesn't matter it's you know it's happening right across the board exactly i have a slide that i and a piece i include in my trainings now uh for us that show traffickers and one is an army colonel uh, a white army colonel who uh, was convicted of trafficking of trafficking i think in texas there's two of them that were uh children's pastors that were um seized in the uh, sting in knoxville uh, last year there's a high school coach uh there's a uh, billionaire in california um and there's a showing of a trafficking ring that includes include a woman there that helps to lure the victims it's it's all demographics it really doesn't this um, isn't a race thing. Yeah, it's not. In fact, I had this mentor training, and I showed the slide, and the Army Colonel's very, very handsome young white man, and she, one of the people in the training looked up, she said, please tell me the, the gentleman on the top right hand is not a trafficker. And I said, absolutely, yes, he is, and a very successful one. So a lot of times, so this again. What? So that's a court-martial, first of all. Oh, and yeah, then, for him, yeah, absolutely. And, and I would imagine that... Uh, for him, the penalties were even greater than if mm-hmm. he had been just a regular citizen. Because our justice system doesn't throw the book at you like the military does. No, they. <laughs> I'm sure his penalties were probably tenfold compared to what so everybody else was. So, what is the penalty for being a human trafficker? It goes case by case, and it depends on ha- the age of the victim. It depends on oh, you were what was that. yeah, right. what the what the. Um, what other crimes were committed right. uh, as a part of it. Yeah. Um, it can range anywhere right now. From, we have a few that have been five or six years to 60 years. So 
Uh, it's kind of all across the board, but that's one of the things we're trying to do is to strengthen those laws too. Yeah. Um, there's a human. We also are part of, or we provide uh, trainers or speakers for the John School, which works with the Magdalen program here mm. in um, Nashville. The Magdalen program is uh, phenomenal. Uh, yes, they're a wonderful uh, program work with for sex workers. Yes, and uh, so they they've been phenomenal, and they work. Uh, there's a, our district attorney uh, works with them, and what hap- one of our district attorneys. And so what happens is, if you are, have been arrested for first-time solicitation of prostitution, you have a choice. You can go to the John School and plus pay $300, which goes to the Magdalene program, uh, or you can go to jail for six years. And, of course, most of them opt for <laughs> to go to the John School. And so they go to the John School and they learn about the humanity piece of it, that the victim is somebody's, you know, wife, daughter, brother, son, uh, to put a face, you know, to the victim. Uh, and you learn about STDs, learn about, you know, so it's, it's really kind of a rehabilitation program, hopefully. But, and this is one of the, hopefully the prevention, you know, demand abatement sure. that uh, we try to participate in. But... If you're arrested a second time, um, you cannot pass go or get two hundred dollars. Sure. You are going to go to jail. So, what is the STD rate? Uh, do you have those kind of numbers? Is I it don't astronomical. Have an, I it's pretty. It's yes. I uh, mean, if you're if you're raping a child for you know forty times a day, my guess mm-hmm. is they're not being super safe. And, no, and traffickers get more money if the victim doesn't wear a condom. A condom usual. Yeah. I mean, if the yeah, uh, yeah, John doesn't wear a condom. Right. So. Um, STDs are quite common. Um, we also, age, luckily, we don't see as much as HIV. Uh, HIV. Yeah. Um, but that's because, of course, the way uh, the medical uh, side of it, how well that's worked. But what happened? we have also see a lot of hepatitis C, too, especially from the drug addiction. Oh, sure. um, so, Dirty needles and things. Yeah. So they have a lot of health problems when they come to us. So now, as I read about Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin getting more and more prevalent, mm-hmm. and this is you know, where money isn't traceable anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like you're fighting this uphill battle. Mm-hmm. It's, it's Sisyphean. Of, we right? are. How do you, how do you, uh-huh. Jill, uh-huh. Do you, I mean, how do you, how do you emotionally deal with all this stuff? It's where, it's very, very hard. It's like I, I have to dwell and seek happiness um, in the accomplishments. Yeah. And I have to go into work every day knowing it's, it might be one step forward, two steps back. Um, we have, uh, when I'm around victims, uh, or excuse me, survivors, uh, they're so wonderful and so loving and so appreciative that that spurs me on. You know, I, d- I don't ever want to throw my hands up. Um, I tell the direct service people, I said, you all are so lucky because you get to see them all the time, but they come in my office a lot of time and love on me. And that's, and I take their faces with me when I go on presentations or talk. I'm, you know, like right now, I'm thinking of several of them in my face, in my head, because that's that's what keeps me going. I have to remember why I do what I do, um, and that's the those are the successes. You know, those are the ones that we um, kind of you know have the sense of accomplishment. It takes sometimes two to five years 
for our survivors to to get totally out of it and not only just the business but out of their mindset that they deserve something better. Well, I noticed you said victim survivor. Yeah, and, that's a and big, I, it's a big, there's a big difference. There is, there yeah. really is. So I, you know, the minute they come through our door, they're a survivor. And so I, when I go back yeah. and forth, I slip. Sure, no, uh, I mean, but, uh, but I think it's important for people yes, to hear absolutely. that. Yes, you know? absolutely. I mean, so the minute a person comes in our door, they're a survivor um, because they've made that step. Either whether or not they wanted to or not, we know that they're, we know, they may not know at the time, that they're kind of on the road to, to something better. Um, and so, you know, and seven to eight relapses is not uncommon. Um, or they go back to their trafficker? Sometimes they do. A lot of times it's drugs. And uh, sometimes it's just, it's not the hardcore drugs. It may be uh, an opioid or whatever, um, which we always think is a compliment in some ways. You're like, okay, you took a Xanax or, you know, you t- did this, but that's that's okay you know it's it's you know this is well it's not necessarily okay but you you know and sometimes they'll do that and they'll turn around and come back and say hey you drug test me i took this you know yeah. and we, we we consider that a success because they bounce right back and say i shouldn't have done that sure. and you know i'm sorry and, and let me you know keep going um but we that's one of the things that we kind of stress is when they they make their successes there is a piece of this that is kind of sad when you just now said they go back to the trafficker. Uh, when it goes back to the trust and the honeymooning and the relationships with the trafficker, there are those that are in love with their trafficker. We call that the Stockholm Syndrome yes. or trauma bond. Yeah. Um, the FBI profiler and I talked about that a couple yes. episodes ago. Good. Well, then you get, yeah. everybody, your listeners have a baseline knowledge then. That's great. But um, still, for those who maybe didn't hear that episode. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Right. So uh, trauma bond, really, in a Stockholm Syndrome, is when um, you turn around and basically uh, are so entrusted and so invested into the person uh, that you're with the trafficker abuser or whatever um, that you have this relationship with them that you still can't break it you still can't um, let go um, you know so what happens with that is if the you know we have a survivor in there that's still communicating with the uh, trafficker and a lot of traffickers will try to get them to come out and go back to them and if they have a relationship especially if they have kids with them or whatever, um, they'll go back. And that's a hard thing. If they've gone back with the trafficker, we do get some of them back, but that's a hard thing to break because that's almost like with the... Yeah. What is the the rate of that? I don't have a statistic on that. Yeah. Um, It doesn't happen that often, but it is a a challenge. And that's one of the challenges that our therapists, I think, and the care coordinators probably have in having that talk continuously. Like, in fact, one of our... uh, the uh, intervention specialist that initiate initially started with us, she says, no one loves you that hits you. You know, no right. one loves you that takes advantage of you. No one loves you that rapes you. You know, I don't care what they've said, what they've given you, what the flowers, sweet things, whatever. They don't truly love you if they ever laid a hand on you. And that's the piece we try to, you know, get across yeah. to them. But it's hard if that's the only person that they got anything from. So that's yeah. a... That's hard to work with. Yeah. The humans need touch. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. even if it's a violent touch, if it's the only touch they're getting, mm-hmm. I mean, it's... Ugh. One of the things I want, I want to talk about two things. One is the bracelet you're wearing, the branded bracelet. And, and also I want to talk about what we talked about a minute ago um, off the microphone was that 
when shame and fear and not talking about things leads to this space where bad things happen. Mm-hmm. So can we talk about that for a second? Because yes. I think that's an incredibly important thing to talk about. Yeah. It's, you know, if you if you don't do anything, it's it's you can't say you know, that you didn't expect this or whatever. It's like, it's... You have to have the conversations with the kids. And you have to... You have to get out of your comfort zone. Yeah. You have to step out of your comfort zone. Um, You have to be... If you're a parent, you have to be a parent. Um, If you have kids on the internet, have a conversation with them about this. No matter how uncomfortable it feels. Yes, absolutely. You have to, to make sure that you make kids aware of not putting where they are or what they do or who their friends are. And it makes sometimes some of the social media boring, but it makes it a lot safer. You don't accept friend requests from people you don't know. But you also have to, again, step out of the boundaries of talking about... um, uh, of having the talk with kids so that they understand uh, what respectable relationships uh, are, what healthy relationships are, and and you know make sure that you have open communication with your child on any subject. On I have anything. to say so. So my parents, from when I was, and maybe this is young, but both of them are professors, so maybe it has it comes with the territory. But when I was about seven ish, they sat me down. They said, "This is sex." This is everything about sex. Mm-hmm. This is what what happens to a female when she matures, a male when he matures. These are all the other things about it. This is the science. This is the biology. Boring. But you know what? I was literally the only one in my friend group graduating from high school a virgin. Mm-hmm. They all were having sex. And I'm not saying one thing leads to the other, but none of them got the talk. None of them had any mm-hmm. idea what sex was about other than whatever was feeling in their bodies. Mm-hmm. And they were, but I had intellectualized it. Mm-hmm. And so to me, it wasn't so titillating anymore. Exactly. And I think, I know that people say, oh, abstinence is the only way to go, but you still have to have the conversation. Yes, absolutely. You have to have the conversation. And, you know, really it all boils down to the fact that schools don't teach, a lot of schools don't teach sex education Because they're scared. They're scared of the backlash from parents. So if that's the case, the parents are the ones, and the parents should be the ones to do it. I wouldn't want a third party teaching my children about sex. You certainly don't want a sex trafficker teaching your kids right, about exactly. sex. Right, exactly. And that's what happens. That's, that's what's happening with a lot of these situations. So this is why it is so important for people... Uh, again, step out of that comfort zone and be a parent. You know, have rules and regulations, but then have enough trust and respect for one another with you and your kids to mm-hmm. have these conversations mm-hmm. because knowledge is a powerful thing. Lack of it is a dangerous thing. And, you know, history is doomed to repeat itself if, if we don't do anything. So Absolutely. this will continue on and on and on, and it won't stop. And I think, too... As uncomfortable as it is, it's important to talk about the difference between healthy touch and unhealthy touch. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this is the time to have the conversation again about stranger danger. If if no one has had that conversation yeah. before, it's that the time like, to yeah, do that. That was a big thing in the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> That was back when you know little kids were playing at parks by themselves. Yeah, six years old and absolutely. I walked to the store at like ten. You know, yeah. There's no way 
on God's green earth that yeah. a parent would let a kid probably do that anymore. Absolutely. Growing... Who, who has a healthy relationship with their children, I No, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, growing up in Texas, I, I grew up in Houston and used to play with the neighborhood kids. We'd run out from the woods. And the oh, biggest thing you're worried about was mosquitoes, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. My and, parents' house had big, huge thing of woods across the street from their yeah. house. And we, the kids in the neighborhood, we spent hours in those woods mm-hmm. and i mm-hmm. remember when we came upon the den of sex and it was this this like <laughs> this carved out thing of trees and there were all these porno magazines and we we're like oh my gosh what's that creepy you know uh-huh. god only knows who was hanging out <laughs> over there but yeah kids back then and exactly it's but then again back in the day this was still going on and it only happened at places like video arcades that don't yeah. exist anymore. Yeah. Um, so talk about your, your bracelet here. Yeah. So I am wearing a bracelet from Branded Collective and Branded Collective is a company started by two young ladies, uh, Emily Landham and Lauren Carpenter. And they initially, they did jewelry, they did clothing, um, all to, you know, basically to benefit nonprofits and uh, remarkable work. What they did is they decided to focus more on the jewelry end. They initially were called T615, but now they're Branded Collective, and you can see them at www.brandedcollective.com. So it's branded, B-R-A-N-D-E-D. Right. And um, so what happens with, with this, and what they did is they've decided to partner with us. And they give opportunities for our survivors uh, to basically uh, participate in an entrepreneurship. Uh, So what happens is our survivors help to make these bracelets. Uh, It has a number on it, has branded, and has a number, uh, indicates uh, numbers of uh, survivors. So collectively, you can see how many survivors uh, there have been over the years. This is 992. And... Within they, your organization, you mean? Uh, just in general. Oh, okay. in terms. And uh, so they will have a uh, an initial on the bracelet, which is the initial of the survivor who has helped to make the bracelet. And you can go on their site. You can hear the story. Uh, you look that initial up. You hear, you'll read wow. about the story of that survivor. Shivers. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not their trafficking story. It's their story of what they're like as a human being, their likes, dislikes, their personality. So you get to know them. And if you, uh, another feature that they've added recently is the number on the bracelet. You can actually contact your survivor uh, through the number. Tell them, you know, this is... Uh, this is, uh, you know, this is survivor number, you know, and you can go ahead and write a note to this, to the survivor, a note of encouragement or whatever. And through this, what they'll do is they actually, um, they have, uh, the survivor has something on a resume, you know, can have something on a resume. So, uh, they learn how to create the joy. They learn how to, uh, take inventory, you know, handle mm-hmm. inventory, shipping, handle orders, uh, and they get a stipend for it. So they get a money that they can actually use. And like I said, a job on the resume that they've, you know, created a piece of jewelry. And so, yeah. yeah. And so that can be found online and again i can put a link on hey human podcast and also here in nashville i know that branded is the branded jewelry is carried um at serendipity Mm -hmm. i'm sure probably at some other yeah some some of the um little uh like micro stores mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, they also they also make earrings now and some other necklaces and stuff, which are really wonderful too. That's so great. great cause, and they're two great ladies, and their hearts are really in it. So good good cause. Awesome. So. 
run through your day real quick. Wait, what what does your day look like? Okay, so so what I do is usually I'm in charge of all the educational efforts that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, also in charge of the volunteers that we have and, and vetting them and getting them set up with groups and, and different opportunities to help us, either with direct service or uh, office work or moving or, sure. you know, it takes uh, a village. activities. It takes a village. And we've got a really good village. Um then also part of the educational piece that I do is doing um, different trainings for different organizations. And recently I did one for the Tennessee Hospitality and Tourism Association. Mm. And I'm trying to create for that, since hotels are a big piece of the human trafficking story, I try to, I'm trying to initiate a statewide initiative uh, to train hotels statewide. And um Part of the initiative or why, how we work statewide is we have a Tennessee Anti-Slavery Alliance that's just been developed. There are four single points of contact. Uh, we handle, and slavery is the Middle Tennessee region. Uh, Restore Corps is out of Memphis. They handle the West Tennessee region. Grow Free Tennessee is northeast, operate out of Knoxville. And then Second Life Chattanooga is, uh, their headquarters are in Chattanooga, but they handle uh, the southeast portion of the state, and then also part of the northern uh, region, too. Mm-hmm. So with having that network, uh, we're able to cover uh, any human trafficking case. And we're the lead... Uh, TASA? Yeah, TASA. Mm-hmm. TASA. And um, Tennessee Anti-Slavery Alliance. And the gov- Governor Haslam mandated the uh, TBI's Human Trafficking Task Force to oversee cases of human trafficking. And so a bill was passed to uh, get four additional agents from the TBI to help with the task force. So now with those four agents, each agent is assigned a region, one of the single points of contact. So when people call uh, the Tennessee Human Trafficking Hotline, they find out what region it's in. And that TBI agent works with local law enforcement um, mm-hmm. to go ahead and uh, look into the case, the reported case. Uh, they're also in charge of uh, a lot of the training for law enforcement in their particular regions as well. What is the statistic breakdown of um, sex trafficking versus all the other servitude and <clears throat> things? Do you know? Um, I'm not exactly sure what it is. The sex trafficking, though, is uh, a bigger piece. The bulk of it. Unfortunately, it's the bulk of it. The labor trafficking uh, comes as a closely behind there and even though we do have agriculture of course in our state um it, it depends on the state too it's i would like, imagine you know, that washington state yes, agriculture would be a bigger absolutely issue. in california and florida sure um so though it makes it in texas so it makes a difference and if you look when you look and up, these are people that are forced to work long long hours mm-hmm. without you know real food or water or care you know absolutely and little or no pay all in one one location too their house in one location and you know that again like we talked about their documents are confiscated if you look on a map you know if you look up any state it's really interesting um, to look up an individual state and find statistics within that state and you can usually pick out what the reasons are you know mm-hmm. if it's on the coast like you said washington state or california you mm-hmm. look at the what the agriculture is or if they're close to a shipping channel or a large body of water mm-hmm. you can see how um that is and then also you'll see the reflection of um 
the as far as population too mm-hmm. like you'll see if you look on uh, the website for Polaris uh, Polaris has some really good statistics you look up and their hot spots up in like you know the northeast where New York City is mm-hmm. um, but there is no state that has not had a, a report of human traffic even like North Dakota in some of those areas that have a really reduced population if you look at a Polaris map actually um, one of the uh, one of the things that's interesting is that there is not a hot spot or whatever for the state of Alaska, uh, but there is a big human trafficking pro- uh, population uh, within Alaska, a lot uh, within the native uh, the native Indian population in that area. So First Nations, yeah, and so what you think uh, what a lot of times that happens is underreporting. Um, so we know for a fact that every state has had um, at least one case of human trafficking, but sometimes you don't see it a lot of times because it's it's underreported or uh, they have their own jurisdictions. As yeah, well. they have their own jurisdictions, and then also depending mm. on how well law enforcement is trained too. Sure. I mean, law enforcement to train law enforcement is a real big challenge to get them on board for it. So yeah, man, for people listening who may know someone or see something or whatever, do you have some uh, so that it's uh, nslaverytn.org is mm-hmm. your uh, yeah www.nslaverytn.org and if you see something here in the state of Tennessee uh, the Tennessee Human Trafficking Hotline is 1-855-558-6484 operated 24 hours a day 7 days a week um, and like again, um, you may be the information you give may be working, you know, help on a case that already exists, may open a new case. If it doesn't even lead to something, again, it's better to say something than not say anything at all. Right. And there's a national phone number as well 888 373 and again, um, I'll post all that stuff, all the things we've been talking about on the HeyHumanPodcast.com on the links page. Um, what are a couple documentaries really quick that people might be able to watch? Um, yes. Uh, some of the really good doc, uh, documentaries are uh, Nefarious, which is really good. Nefarious, um, I like Nefarious because it shows uh, globally human trafficking and then it turns around and focuses uh, on uh, Nashville. Uh, so you get a little bit of uh, uh, each of those pieces. Um, also, uh, the one that you had mentioned earlier. I am Jane Doe. Right. Was uh, exceptional. That's really good. Uh, some of the books, if you, uh, Half the Sky is a, is a good book. Fallen is another one um, that was written by a victim of human trafficking. Um, on our website, we also have some other suggestions for some other uh, media. There's a great movie, Very Young Girls, uh, that's out. That's a documentary that uh, I don't know if you can get access. I think you can go ahead and get it on Amazon. I highly recommend it. And one of the best books ever is Girls Like Us by Rachel Lloyd. Uh, that's a must read for and anybody that's interested. She is a survivor of human trafficking. And she started an organization in, in New York uh, called the GEMS Organization, uh, which is very similar to what we do. And she is, uh, this book is really uh, shows how it starts, the vulnerabilities, the lures, and then how someone can actually recover from it and make good out of it. So. Mm-hmm. Jill, thank you so very much. Thank you, Sue. Really appreciate it. <laughs> you're, you're doing, you're doing great work, and uh, I mean, I just, it's it's to me, it's unfathomable that this 
is an issue that that exists in the world and at the same time like i said at the top of this hour it doesn't surprise me either and it's it's i just hope that it gets better mm-hmm. yeah. oh i hope pray too yeah i hope pray too but you know opportunities like this are big big steps so thank you so yeah. much yeah, really appreciate it all right everyone thanks for listening thank you bye